I am so pleased you accepted my invitation for this God-ordained appointment. Let me assure you, you are not here by chance, nor are you here because someone dragged you here. Thank you for being obedient to my call. Marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. They are not for the weak or the faint of heart, but for the humble and the brave. Hard work lies before you. There is no magic pill. I am asking you to be willing to peer deep inside your heart. I am asking you to hear me speak to you through this conference and be 100% engaged and honest with yourself and me. I have wonderful things in store for you. Hope and healing will come through me. Relationships are one of the things by which I refine you and make you holy. Difficulties can turn to blessings if you view them through this lens. Marriage was my idea. In the beginning, I created marriage to imitate the oneness that I share with the Father. Marriage is a covenant, a solemn binding agreement. It is holy. It is sacred. My definition and view is far different from the world's. My way works. My dear child, rest in me. Cease striving. Remember, I am here with you. This is my gift to you. Please receive it and watch what I can do and will do. Well, God is indeed pleased that you're here today. What a, what a great reading. Thanks, Tim. Welcome to the DNA of Relationships Conference. Uh, we, are, we are so excited you're here today. You're in the right place. Now, I'm Brian Rummery, the Windsor Road uh, Christian Church Adult Ministries Pastor. And uh, even though you're in the right place, and we're glad you're here, I know some of you don't want to be here tonight. And maybe, maybe somebody did drag you here. Maybe I pestered you so much that you're here, and you're single, and I said, hey, this is conference is good for singles too, even though it's a couples conference, and you're here. You're in the right place. I believe you're here because I believe you believe that working on relationships is a good thing. Maybe you're married and your marriage is good and you want to work on your marriage. That's great. Maybe you're married and your marriage isn't so good. In fact, it's falling apart. But you're here and you want to save your marriage. That's great. Maybe you're single and you'll look forward someday to being married and you're here and that's great. Maybe you're single and you just want to work on some other relationships. And you're here, and that's great. You're in the right place. Now, this is a couples conference, and we're going to be talking a lot about marriage in this conference. But the principles that we're going to be presenting here are principles that can apply to any relationship. So be thinking about that. Be trying to apply those principles to whatever relationship you need to while you're here today. We've been praying for you. If you've pre-registered for this conference... We've prayed for you by name out loud. And we want to continue to pray for you. We have a prayer team. They're wearing name tags that say prayer team on them. And they're going to be milling around in the foyer during the breaks. Grab one of them. They would love to pray for you. Just say, hey, can you pray for me? And, and they'll, they'll pray for you. Please grab them. Well, let's get started with prayer. Let me pray for us, and then we'll introduce our speakers and get going. Let's pray. 
Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here. You have given us the privilege of coming together and talking about relationships, talking about our marriages, talking about other relationships that we have. Lord, help us to, help us to focus. Help us to apply these principles that we're going to learn. Apply them to our lives and to our marriages. Lord, help us to, help us to live for you. Lord, teach us tonight and tomorrow morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, quick introduction. We've got two presenters with us uh, this weekend for tonight and tomorrow. And it's really easy. They're both named Bob. I think they planned that. So Bob Burby is a psychologist and therapist with the National Institute of Marriage. He also uh, does some writing. And Bob Paul is the co-president of the National Institute of Marriage, and you'll see them both up here. First, let's welcome Bob Burby. All right. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Uh, it is such a treat to be here. Um, I will confess this is my first time to the Champaign, Illinois area, and Y'all have flat land here. Do you notice that? You got trees. That's reassuring to me, but not much undulation. Where where I'm from, we it's not very flat. So this this is different. This is different. And this is uh, am I getting this right? Saluki territory, right? No. Whoa! (laughs) I just lost Bob. I just lost the whole audience right there. Right? What is the what's the mascot for University Ellen? Illini. Who's the who are the Salukis? Oh, you know what? Because I think Southern Illinois is in the same conference as Missouri State, which in Springfield, Missouri, where I'm from. That's why I got so Illini. I won't make that mistake again. Oh, gee. Well, um, as I said, we are excited to be here. Um, uh, National Institute of Marriage, uh, where I have the blessed privilege to be a part of the team, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to rebuilding, restoring, and renewing the promise of a great marriage. And as Pastor Brian was observing, We recognize that uh, this audience represents the full spectrum of folks who might have interest in marriage and and how marriage relationships work, uh, how they uh, get all tangled in a hot mess, and how to somehow recover from that hot mess and get on a path to health and wholeness and really have a marriage that you can be thrilled with. How many of you that are married, when you walk down the aisle, were looking forward to mediocrity? You know, and when you exchange vows, you said something like, I promise to say hello in the morning and, yeah, be there at night when we go to bed. I mean, nobody gets married with that kind of ambition, right? We get married with this hope, this ambition for something awesome, for something wonderful. And and the Bible uh, very clearly lays out marriage as a part of God's plan for abundance for his children. 
And uh, what we're going to look at this weekend, tonight and tomorrow morning, is some of the dynamics that, that kind of get in the way of experiencing the full abundance that God intended for marriage and see if we can um, and share some insights and put our heads together and try to understand what gives us a chance for a great marriage. Um, what, uh, what I want to let you know is much of what... Um, my co-president, colleague, and friend Bob Paul and I are going to be sharing with you our insights that we certainly take, we take from three primary, uh, well, three or four sources. Uh, first and foremost is, is our faith, our study of the scriptures, and really trying to understand what the Bible has to say about marriage. Uh, uh, in addition to that, our, tra- our professional training as I'm a psychologist and Bob is a licensed professional counselor. Uh, and then probably a, a big part of where that uh, has impacted some of what we're going to look at this weekend is our own marriage journey. We're going to be sharing with you experiences and illustrations from our own marriage journeys. Uh, as well as what couples we're getting the privilege to work with at National Institute of Marriage are teaching us about marriage. I have the privilege to have a front row seat on God working in people's lives as they come to us sometimes in a very broken state. Their marriage is in um, great disarray. Uh, a lot of pain, a lot of heartbreak, and we sit with people over a few days, all day long, unpacking what's going on in their relationship, and with the Lord's help and guidance, try to figure out a way to put that back together in a manner that gives them a chance for a great marriage. And that has taught me so much about marriage, and I'm excited to be sharing that with all of you uh, tonight. Um, uh, I, I want to mention uh, in this uh, workbook that, um, that everybody should have gotten, um, there's a, a little card in there for a free giveaway. We've got some, some books and things that uh, if you will fill that out and leave it at the book table, we'll be doing a drawing. Also, National Institute of Marriage, in addition to our marital therapy services that we provide in something we call intensive marital therapy, We also do marriage enrichment events like this conference. We hold retreats on our property in Branson, Missouri, and we'd like to also give away a free retreat weekend in Branson. How many of you visited Branson, Missouri? Yeah? Hillbilly Las Vegas, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, So, yeah, we'd love to... Uh, have you be our guest for a Friday night through Sunday retreat that we hold at our uh, at our retreat center on the bluff overlooking Tanicomo Lake uh, between Branson and Forsyth um, and that it's beautiful setting and uh, there are four ways that you can be a part of uh, that giveaway Uh, there'll be a a uh, video later that will g- remind you of this. But if you go, if you like us on Facebook, if you uh, do a Twitter send to us, uh, hashtag uh, DNA Champagne, uh, or you, um, what was the fourth one? Oh yeah, sign up for our newsletter at the website. All of those things will enter you in a drawing for that free retreat weekend. Okay. Uh, 
So before we get started, just a couple of things about um, uh, Bob and I are here to be to serve you. We uh, we've got some stuff that we are anxious to tell you about and introduce you to in terms of how to think about marriage, how to look at yourself and your relationship in fresh ways. But we'll be around on breaks and before and after to visit with folks. And if you have specific or particular questions and want to grab us uh, on breaks or uh, before and after the sessions, uh, both of us are are more than happy to talk with you. If you have questions about our intensive therapy programs and the organization, we'd be happy to talk with you about those as well. Um, uh, If you have a cell phone, if you would please put it on silent, that will be greatly appreciated by those who are sitting around you. And uh, also be aware that at the at the back of your uh, workbook is an evaluation form. Please be sure to fill that out uh, at the end of tomorrow. Uh, we always uh, take the input and feedback that folks give us about their experience at the conference uh, to improve what we're doing so, and learn from it. Okay. Well, Pastor, uh, Pastor Brian was talking about the range of Uh, circumstances with which people come to a conference like this. Uh, Bob and I understand that in this room are folks all along the spectrum of marriage health and fulfillment. Some of you are here because you're, as Pastor Brian indicated, you're, you're looking for ways to just take an already good relationship and take it to a whole nother level. And, and I'm confident that we're going to give you some stuff that will help you do that. On the other end of the spectrum, there are some of you who are here and you're just at best limping your way in here. Uh, you're not really sure kind of what the future is of your relationship. And it feels like the relationship is struggling. And then there are others where you're just curious about marriage in general. You hope to be married someday. Um, uh, you, You may not be in a relationship at the moment, but we understand that you're here to learn about what goes into a a great marriage, a marriage that you can be thrilled with. I'm confident that we're going to touch on things that ought to appeal to all three of those those, uh, categories. If this conference seems to make things worse, Okay, and it's not unheard of that when couples go to an enrichment event like this, it has a way of kind of stirring things up. It kind of brings to the surface some things that maybe have been on the back burner or you haven't talked about in a long time. Just, yeah, fasten your seatbelt and, you know, no, don't panic. If this, if this experience introduces a little bit of stress, that's just an indication that you're like everybody else. You got issues, there's stuff going on in your relationship, just like stuff going on in my relationship. And this conference is creating an opportunity uh, to address some things before they get really big. Um, it could be you're just having a bad day, <laughs> but, um, but be prepared. This, 
these enrichment events can often stir things up. We want to challenge you. We want to really rattle your categories and give you, uh, challenge the way you think about marriage. You don't have to agree with us. You probably won't agree with everything that we present, but we want to give you some stuff that you can, um, uh, that you have to think about, that you've got to figure out how it fits, and will probably provoke conversation between you and your spouse. That conversation we're hopeful, we're praying, will be productive, and God will use to take you to a fresh, new, better place in your relationship. If, uh, if, the, if the experience sort of stirs things up in a way that feels very familiar, well, that might be an indication that you need something more than an enrichment event like this conference. Um, uh, For some relationships, coming to this conference would be a little like somebody who has coronary heart disease uh, going to a health seminar on diet supplements. Uh, What they really need is bypass surgery and they, they, they... they went to a seminar on diet supplements. Diet supplements are good, but the, the extent and the condition of the person's heart is such that they need really dramatic intervention. Uh, this experience could put you in a place to understand just, um, in some cases, just how serious your situation might be. Uh, we'd love to be a resource to you. We're going to be providing information about how you can learn more about our services, how you can, how we can somehow uh, support you and encourage you. Okay. Well, let me tell you a little bit about me. Um, my uh, co-president Bob Paul will tell you a little bit about himself uh, later. But I um, have been a licensed psychologist for uh, twenty-six. Is it twenty-six? 20, 27 years. Yeah, yeah, 27 years going on 28 years. Uh, that's, that's longer than some of you are old. <laughs> uh, it seems like a terribly long time. I'm married to uh, Mary Jo. Uh, I'm going to show you her picture in a few moments. She uh, is my best friend. She is the first person that I want to go to when something really cool happens. She's the first person that I want perspective and and to process when I'm discouraged, when I'm disappointed, when I'm anxious. I've really come to appreciate her perspective, insight, and wisdom. Uh, Frankly, to tell you the truth, I wish I had respected and regarded uh, her perspective uh, much, much earlier. Uh, I wish I had, had held her in the same kind of esteem that I have for her now 30 years ago. I think we would have missed some mistakes along the way. We have uh, six kids, four biological and two in-laws. Uh, I have a, my oldest son is, is married, and so we have a, another daughter-in-law and my youngest daughter is married, and so we have a new uh, son-in-law. Uh, both of those marriages are less than two years, so we, there's a lot going on in the Burby, Burby family. Uh, if you're wondering about my ethnicity, uh, it's uh, uh, hillbilly. Uh, and uh, if you're not familiar with the Ozarks region of the country, uh, you may not appreciate what a hillbilly is. Actually, I wouldn't use that term in my, in my extended family. I might 
not be fed or might be asked to leave if I referred to us all as a bunch of hillbillies. Um, uh, folks who, who are from the Ozarks don't particularly like that term. Um, but uh, but uh, I am the product of parents who grew up in the Great Depression and the Great Depression as it was experienced in the Ozark Hills. And so a lot of the values and ways of thinking about life that are associated with a kind of pioneer rural way of doing life impacted me even though my parents didn't raise myself my two younger brothers uh, in the hills or on a farm somewhere we were still impacted by that way of thinking Uh, kind of uh, a real fierce independence we don't take no charity from nobody. We, you know, uh, if my, my dad has sort of lived by this motto, if, if, if I can't fix it or make it myself, I probably don't need it. You know, it's kind of that. And my, my dad is the king of jerry-riggers. You know what a jerry-rigger is, right? That, that man could make more things out of duct tape and wire and plastic milk jugs than anybody I've ever met in my whole entire life. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's, that's a big part of what has uh, shaped me. I'm, uh, uh, by, by temperament, as, as you may uh, notice, I'm, I could be a fairly intense person. I enjoy impacting people. I think that's why I love working at National Institute of Marriage is it, it's such a great fit for my personality, being able to come alongside folks and somehow make a difference in their lives. Um, I, I get to live the answer to prayers that I prayed when I was in my teens, when I got serious about being a Christian as a young man, I prayed that God would take my life and use it for his service. A few years later, I felt called to become a Christian psychologist. And uh, every night when I put my head on the pillow, I can, I can just thank God I've lived another day in answer to that prayer. That's, that's pretty cool. I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, after my family and faith and work, I love music. Uh, tomorrow I'll be uh, bringing my guitar and sharing some music with you in, in uh, my portions of the presentation. I also have a passion for fitness. Um, Bob can testify that there's a little less of me up on this platform than there would have been three years ago. Uh, I've lost uh, quite a bit of weight and in my middle 50s discovered that I, my body can still do stuff, lose some weight, exercise, and wow, I can actually enjoy riding a bicycle or swimming and, and running. And so I particularly enjoy things like triathlon sprints and long bike rides and stuff like that. Do you have any bikers? This looks like a great area to ride a bike because you don't have any hills. You can just like, of course, you have the wind to contend. Do we have any long distance bikers? Oh, no, really? Oh, good, good. We'll, we'll talk. What kind of bike you got? What are you... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I, I, if you call something that I'm interested in a hobby, I'll be insulted. Uh, I don't have hobbies. I have passions. I have things. I, I do things in a big way. And uh, as I'm going to explain, Mary Jo, her temperament is very different. Mary Jo and I would be poster children for marriages that can not just make it, but actually thrive when two people are really, really different. 
Because for all the ways that I'm intense and sort of like to be out in front and doing things and leading the pack, she's very content to sort of stay in the background. She's kind of steady Eddie. I'm big highs, deep lows, and she's like this. And uh, it's... uh, it's been, it's just made for a real interesting ride. I, I, I'll just tell you, and I'm going to, uh, I'll share some examples of that. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that's a little bit about me. There's Mary Jo and I, uh, uh, that was at the St. Louis Zoo. Some of you visited the St. Louis Zoo. What a great place, right? We had that picture taken, uh, just a year or so ago. All right. Um, so let's, let's look at a model for thinking about marriage, okay? One way to think about marriage is that it starts with this anticipation of something that's going to be awesome, something that's going to be great. And uh, sadly, many of us find ourselves within a, a rel- sometimes a relatively short period of time feeling like we're stuck, and we don't know how we got there, and we certainly don't know how to get out of it. We don't know what to do to kind of take it in a different direction. And it feels a little bit like the children of Israel who were in bondage in Egypt, because we just keep doing the same mistakes over and over again, and it can start to feel like the marriage is being defined by this repetitive pattern of disappointment, frustration, arguments, conflict, and, we, and it just starts to feel like we can't get on the other side of that. Well, um, uh, thankfully, God is able willing and ready to give us deliverance, just like he gave the children of Israel deliverance. But if you'll remember the story, the children of Israel are delivered out of bondage in Egypt, and they go where? The wilderness. You know, I love, I love the watch, following this story in the Old Testament, because it's, it's kind of a... Um, uh, a metaphor, if you will, an analogy of how God works with me. Because I can sometimes, I get myself in these places where I feel like I'm in bondage, and then I get delivered, and after I get delivered, like the children of Israel were delivered from bondage in Egypt, then I go into this place where I've got to figure out how to do life. Because I can't do it like I used to when I was in bondage. What does it look like to do it in a different way. And God uses 40 years of meandering through the wilderness. He gives the children of Israel the law. They learn some important lessons to, to rely on God, etc., etc. It's a really important time in, in God developing his relationship with the children of Israel. And finally, they land in an area called the promised land. And so some of what we're going to look at tonight and tomorrow is kind of figuring out how to walk that journey from a marriage standpoint. Like marriage can be an, an, can follow a progression that's similar to the children of Israel. Okay, I think we have a video and that will kind of outline some of what that uh, bondage can look like.
we're the Randolphs. And we have scripts. My name's Brian. This is my wife, Catherine. We knew for quite some time that we had scripts. We just didn't want to talk about it. We were scared. We realized we had scripts one night about a year or so ago when we were fighting. Why do you speak to him like that? Like what? Like he can't do anything right. I didn't speak to him like that. You don't know how you come across. Oh, and I guess you're going to tell me how I come across. Stop yelling at him and be nicer to like him. Like you are? I didn't say that. I don't want to treat him the way that you treat him. I'm his father. You're his mother. Well, he needs more from you. When did you become such a parenting expert? When you became such a rotten parent. Then it hit me. We'd had this argument before. <laughs> We both stood there staring at each other with that overwhelming sense of deja vu. And I said, Catherine, we fought this fight before. And I said, Brian, we fought this fight a hundred times before. Now, see, that, that is the aha moment, you know, for people who have scripts. If you don't have that we've been here before moment, then you either don't have scripts or you still don't know that you have scripts. We noticed over the next few months that, uh, Five scripts began to surface in our marriage. Now, five, that is pretty bad. But it ain't as bad as that one couple. Remember them? They're, they're not here tonight. <laughs> but, but they had 18 different scripts. That, they were pretty bad. <laughs> now, scripts are those little plays that we use in our marriages or relationships when we're talking to each other without really listening or paying attention or when we're defending our own point of view and don't really know why, like the garbage script. Yeah, we had the garbage script, and the kids script, and the sex script, and the money script, and the silent script. I mean, we had five of them. We just didn't know what to do about them. I even for a while tried to deny that we even had scripts. And I know none of you men can identify with that. I mean, when we'd argue, we'd try not to use our scripts. We'd even argue about something completely different, so we didn't come back to our scripts. But we always came back to them. I mean, the more we tried not to use them, the more they just flowed right out of our mouths. I mean, we were fighting like cats and dogs every day. There was hardly anything either one of us could say that didn't just trigger one of our scripts. Brian! I need you to take this garbage out. Okay, hon, in a minute. You always say okay, hon, in a minute, and then you never do it. Now get up and go do it. That's because you never give me enough time. Yeah, it was last week enough time. You always exaggerate. Because you never do anything around here. Because you always go and do everything yourself. Because you never do nothing I ask you to. Because you's always nagging and griping. Because you never get up from the TV. Because you always want me to do something. Because you never spend any time with me. Then one day, still can't believe it when I think about it, Catherine, she says to me, come here, baby. She says to me, Brian, I can't live like this anymore. We were stuck, and I knew it. I just didn't know what to do about it, so I did nothing. Brian's right. I felt like I was drowning, and he was just watching me. I mean, I knew we needed help, and I knew we needed to change. I, I just didn't think he wanted to change anything. I wanted to change. I just thought she was looking to me to be the one to change things. I didn't know where to start. I was scared to death, too. Hey. Maybe at this point we could share with them all, you know, the biggie. Why not? Because I'm not in the mood. You're 
never in the mood. Well, you're never not in the mood. I'm tired and I don't want to. Fine. Now you're mad. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Well, how long's it been? I don't know. Three weeks, five days, four hours, and 13 minutes. Good crazy. So you don't know what it say about you. That I'm not preoccupied. Preoccupied? You're not even post-occupied. You're so unoccupied, it's not even funny. Well, I have a lot to do. Like I don't. I don't have time. Once a month, you wash your dog more than that. Well, I like washing the dog. <sighs> I was making a joke, <sighs> truth in every joke we tell. Yeah, even the jokes you tell about my weight. No. You think I'm fat. Well, I'm fat, too. You're right, you are. But it doesn't seem to bother you any, and you don't hear me making jokes about it. Now, just leave me alone. I'm tired, and I said no. <clears throat> Usually, that led right into the silent script. And it was never very long from there till we ended up smack dab in the middle of the money script. We just don't have it. Yes, we do. Why is there always something? Why do you always want more? Oh, more toilet paper, more shoes for the kids. You're right. I'm so extravagant. Why can't I just say no to you? You can. You're doing it right now. You're absolutely great at it. You know you'd spend every last dime we had. Wrong. I could never pry it out of your clenched fist. Well, that's our five scripts. The kid script, the garbage script, the sex script, the silent script, and the money script. We stand before you tonight and confess our desire that our scripts be torn up and thrown into the trash can. We want to deal with our stuff right when it comes up. And we don't want the scripts that the TV wrote or the scripts that our parents wrote to keep getting played out in our marriage. Most of all, we want to stop writing scripts ourselves. People can change, and God's merciful to show us how. Apart from his love and grace, which has found us, we'd stay stuck using our scripts. And over time, our marriage would become so well rehearsed that, that our souls would die as we continued repeating lines like broken records. We're hoping and praying for something more than that. We're hoping and praying for a lot more than that. Probably nobody can identify with any of that, right? <laughs> yeah, scripts. Kind of captures, doesn't it? Um, some of the dynamics that go on in our relationships. Is it ever, have you ever felt like the conflict that is taking place in a moment is familiar, like you've done it before? 
Um, maybe the, the, some of the specifics have changed, but in terms of what you feel emotionally in that conflict, in that moment of tension, feels familiar. Um, the insight about what's going on in those, as in this, called in this video, those scripts, those moments where we're doing this repetitive dance can be a critical step toward being able to change it. And, and break its grip on me, on my spouse, and on our relationship. Let me uh, try to outline kind of what happens. And I'll use Mary Jo and, as an, and I as an example. Basically, something takes place that pushes my buttons. Uh, it could be Mary Jo's tone of voice. It could be... I can't get her on the cell. She won't answer her cell phone. Uh, it could be uh, she forgot something that I told her about. I, you know, it, you just fill in the blank, but it like triggers something in me. It provokes something in me. And when that, whatever that button is that gets pushed, when that happens, I then react. I do stuff. Um, I don't always even know that I'm doing it. It's so automatic. It's like a reflex. It's like when the doctor hits your knee with a little rubber hammer and your foot jerks out. That's kind of what it feels like with Mary Jo. If, if the, one of those buttons gets, one of my buttons gets pushed, I just react before I even realize what I'm doing. Now, what's interesting is that when I react, that has a way of pushing Mary Jo's button. Because she's got those same sensitivities, those same little uh, areas in her that when I react has a way of pushing her buttons. And guess what? When her buttons gets pushed, she reacts. And do you see how the cycle completes? That pushes my button, I react, pushes her button, react. This this dynamic is something uh, I think in the DNA of relationships book uh, that Bob wrote with uh, Gary Smalley. It's called the fear dance. We often refer to it now in intensives when we're working with couples as a fear cycle. It's not a unique insight to us. Other family therapists, psychologists, and family experts have been recognizing for quite some time that human relationships can get defined or get controlled by a dynamic that's an emotional reactive kind of cycle or dynamic. We call it a fear cycle. And the buttons are all this stuff. Things like feeling disconnected, controlled, humiliated, powerless, cheated, insignificant, dissatisfied, misunderstood. It's all of those kinds of emotions. When something happens... And it, and it sort of triggers one of those emotions and or it does, I don't even have to feel the emotion. I just start to get afraid that I'm going to feel that emotion. What happens is I get scared. And, you know, it's like there's a part of me that is still five or six years old. You know, I'm, I'm in a big boy body walking around doing life. But there's a part of me emotionally that is still inside my heart that is like when I was five, seven years old. Uh, And that part can get scared. That part can 
can feel hurt. That part feels pain. That part begins to anticipate being scared, anticipate being hurt. And when that gets stirred up, then I consequently do stuff. Let me see if I can, uh, I'll try to give you an example to illustrate how this works with Mary Jo. Now, um, I just want to warn you, I'm going to show you a scene that uh, just prepare yourself. You may want to look away until you take a deep breath because this is one of the most fearful images you may have seen for, if not days, maybe months. Are everybody prepared? This is going to be scary. I mean, this just strikes fear in my heart, and I'm afraid it's going to do the same with you. So I just want you to be prepared. Everybody ready? What I tell you, right? Isn't that just the image of malevolence? <laughs> Isn't that just strike fear in your heart? This is the Burby's family dog, Scooter. Scooter is a cocker spaniel. Do we have any cocker spaniel lovers? In the, oh, you poor people. <laughs> um, uh, Scooter has been the origin of more than one conflict between Mary Jo and I. Um, here we, we've been, we're dog people. We've, we've had dogs, uh, since the early days of our marriage. Um, and we'd only been married a few years and we got a German shepherd that I took to obedience classes and, and she did wonderful. And I learned all this stuff about dog obedience, you know, and fancy myself to be the next Caesar dog whisperer. I just was so confident. And then we, after our German shepherd, we had a boxer. Do we have any boxer lovers in the audience? Boxers are great dogs. Nothing like Cocker Spaniels. Boxers are awesome. And we had a, we had a female uh, Cocker for, or excuse me, Boxer for 13 years, and then she passed. And when she passed away, the, our kids were still small, particularly our two youngest, and they wanted another dog. So let's, Cockers are really cute, adorable. Yeah, what lies beneath the surface. <laughs> uh, so we thought we'll get a Cocker Spaniel. So, and if you've ever been around Cocker Spaniel puppies, oh my gosh, is there anything so adorable as a Cocker, especially blonde Cocker, they're just the cutest puppies you could ever see. So we went as a family, found a, uh, found a, a breeder there in the Springfield area, and we got a male Cocker Spaniel, named him Scooter, brought him home. And we proceeded to use all the wisdom and skill that we had learned with the previous dogs we owned to train Scooter. And uh, he responded really well. He house broke really quickly. We used a method with a, a kennel in a special room and all this kind of stuff. Um, and he, he house broke really well. It was just one nagging problem. Um, and it, it, and this was the source of the conflict between Mary Jo and I and me and the rest of the family. Um, uh, you know, Scooter's now several months old. He's house broke. 
but this one problem we can't fix. Whenever I come into the house at the end of the day, everybody comes to greet dad. Mary Jo gives me a kiss. The kids give me a hug. Scooter trops up to, to greet me as well. I bend over to pat him on the head and he pees on my shoes. Not once, not twice. Every time I give him attention, he pees. When he pees, I go, Scooter! Right? I yell, and so there's a little yellow-green trail as he runs back to his, his uh, timeout place where he knows to go when he's been bad. Uh, it, it gets better. It gets better. One of, the things, one of the things that's been really interesting about this, our Cocker Spaniel, maybe other Cocker Spaniels, uh, have a conscience, unlike Scooter. Um, the, he, when nobody's around, he does stuff that he knows he's not supposed to do. You know, like get in the trash. One of his favorite things to do was to jump up on Mary Jo and I's bed. And he, now whose side of the bed do you suppose he wants to waller in? Right? Not Mary Jo. Mary Jo's his buddy. She loves him. He loves her. Is that the side of the bed he wants to waller and lounge? No. He goes to my side of the bed, takes his little furry paws, pulls the covers back, rolls in the, in the pillow. The, and I walk into the, into the master bedroom. He's, in, he's on our bed in the covers on my pillow. Scooter! He jumps up, runs out, goes to his timeout place. I sit down on the bed. Mary Jo! <laughs> He's peed in the bed. <laughs> not once, not twice. Anytime I give this dog attention, he piddles. Now, uh, we, we eventually work this problem out, okay? I'm telling you this story to illustrate how this was pushing my buttons, all right? And how it was a source of conflict for Mary Jo and I. We, uh, I will just tell you, we did work it out. He's still in our home. He and I have a truce of sorts, um, and uh, it's gotten better. It, I, I did some research. Maybe if, if there are any dog people in the audience, you may understand this, but apparently in dog culture, when somebody wants to, when a dog wants to salute the alpha male, show a sign of respect, they pee. Did you know that? that that's, that's like dog language for you the man. Like, I get it. You the boss. I respect you. Well, excuse me if I don't feel so respected. <laughs> so here's what happens. So, Scooter does something like this, pees on my shoes, you know, leaves a yellow-green trail through the house as he goes to his timeout place. I st- and I'm saying to Mary Jo and the kids, this is not working. Let, you know, he's still young. He'll make a great dog for a farm family somewhere where he can be outside and run with the rabbits. And, you know, you'd, you'd think I, you know... I I was a murderer or something, you know, to suggest we get rid of Scooter because my son loves him, Mary Jo adores, I mean, everybody loves the dog but me. So 
I start to feel controlled. Like I can't do, like this thing is happening and I can't fix it. Not only do I feel controlled, but if it sure looks to me like this stupid dog is more important to my wife and kids than I am, right? Anybody on my side? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I feel firm. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> right? And, and, and also in there is I feel like I'm failing because, right, I'm, I'm like... I'm like Caesar. I'm like dog whisperer too. You're right. I'm like the authority on how to train dogs and I'm failing with this dog because I can't fix this problem. I don't know what to do about it. Everything I try to scold him, certainly that just seems to make it worse. I, so I feel like I'm failing. All those buttons are getting pushed for me. So notice the conflict with Mary Jo isn't really about Scooter, is it? For me, it's about, I feel like I'm failing, I'm not important, I, I, I don't count in my own family, and I feel controlled, powerless, all right? So what do I do? Well, the way I react, remember my temperament, I'm kind of intense, I can get hot quickly, so I, like, like I was just illustrating, Scooter Peas, I yell, Scooter, and he, you know, he, um, I also will replay, like play in my head all the times in the past where it's felt like I wasn't important to Mary Jo, like she always puts the kids ahead of me or, you know, or, you know, remember my birthday or, you know, I do all this kind of stuff. You know, I start replaying evidence of why I'm not important. And then I start thinking about you know, my parents and, and teachers and coaches as I was growing up who were always critical of how I did things and they didn't approve of this and it felt like a failure. And so you see all those buttons that are getting pushed around the dog were buttons that were in me before Scooter ever came into our household. He just happened to be the impetus or the vehicle to push him. And so I start reacting. Some of those reactions are outward, like my anger, uh, escaping, like going down and just vegetating in front of the TV for three or four days until I get my composure back, you know, escaping, that, that, that's outward. But the replay, that's more an inward thing that I do, but it's still a, still a reaction. Well, when I do that stuff, guess what happens with Mary Jo? You see, Mary Jo has buttons as well. So she tends to feel misunderstood. She's very sensitive to fairness. And she's very sensitive to feeling helpless and powerless. So I'm protesting about Scooter, right? What does she start to feel? Oh, gee, I, she doesn't know what to do. She can't fix it either. Notice how that would hook her helpless, powerless button. Um, you know, everybody else is fine with the dog. Why can't I just get with the program? Uh, doesn't, you know, he only does it with me. It's clearly something wrong with me, not the dog, or he'd be doing it with everybody. You know, so it, it's hooking her. This isn't fair, Bob. You're not being fair. And when I tr- try to explain that it feels like the dog's more important, then she feels misunderstood. Are you following this? Yeah, yeah. And so all of that starts getting stirred up in her emotionally. So what does she do? 
Well, she reacts too. So she might blame, like, this. you're doing it wrong. You shouldn't yell at him. Or uh, if, I, if I complain about, you know, about not being important, she might cross-complain, like, me? What about you? You know, you went on a bike ride instead of have a date with me. Or you, what about you? You, did, you, you know that cross-complain thing that people can do? Um, or she gets defensive. It's not that bad. Don't, you know, you're making too much of it. Oh, look at him. He's so cute. How could you be, uh, you know, so she gets defensive. Well, notice how her being defensive, uh, well, goes right into my buttons. Blame, failure, cross-complaint, defensiveness. I feel unimportant. See, and so we get this, we get this cycle, whoops, going round and round. Now, the other thing I want to point out to you is while we each have our buttons and our reactions, what we really want are things that are precious to us. I want to be close. I want intimacy with her. She wants to feel like we're partners, like we're working together. But this fear cycle just takes us away from being able to have those things that we really, really want. So that's an example of how this fear cycle can kind of get played out in Bob and Mary Jo's marriage. I want to give you an opportunity to give some thought for how it might be playing out in your relationship. If you're not married, maybe there's a close family member or a friend or uh, someone that you have a, a close proximity relationship with that you know can, can go sour and get awkward, can get tense quickly. Um, but especially for those of you who are married, I want you to turn in your workbook to page 14. Oh, check out this animation. Isn't this cool? Watch what happens here. Watch. Wait, here it comes. Here it comes. It's coming. Just hang on. It's doing it. <gasps> Is that cool or what? <laughs> Do we have any PowerPoint nerds in the audience? <laughs> I, I can't take credit for that. Bob Paul did that. I don't even know how he did That's just magic. That is so cool. Um, so, so if you turn in the workbook on page 14, um, there's an exercise there that walks you through how to identify what some of your buttons and what some of your reactions might be. We're going to give you about about 15 minutes or so to just take, take those 15 minutes and think about a conflict that, it ha- that can occur. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> occur uh, in your relationship and see if you can identify some of the emotions that take place and some of the reactions. Let's look at the directions together so everybody's clear. Actually, it starts on page, page 12. The first item says, describe a recent conflict, argument, or negative situation. Just fill that in. And then check off 
Then item two asks you, how did you feel in response to that conflict or situation? Just check off all the ones that apply. And then star like three or four, the most important. Then item three, how did this uh, conflict make you feel about yourself? There's some more feeling words there. Then item four on page 13, what do you do when you feel one or more of those emotions? And again, a list of reactions, things that people do when their buttons get pushed. Again, check off those that apply, highlight maybe the top four or five. After you've done that, then on page 14, where it says step one and step two, that's for your buttons and your reactions, okay? And uh, I want to ask you not to, not to get concerned about whether or not your partner does it right. All right? You're going to go through this exercise and your brain is going to go, well, she does that all the time. Or I know he feels that. And I'm just going to ask you to kind of let that go. Let, Let your mate be the expert about them. I know you know them better than they know themselves. But just let that go. Just concentrate on yourself, right? Let me be a therapist for a moment. Let's just concentrate on ourselves. Don't worry too much how they feel their side of it out. Um, and when we come back together, I'll, uh, I'll give you instructions what to do next. All right? So we'll take about 15 minutes to work on this. Go ahead. Question number three and fill them in on the button section on page 14. And then the answers to question number four and fill them on the reaction section, that would give sort of your side of the fear cycle. Um, If you've already done that, um, go ahead and uh, if you're here with your spouse, go ahead and get their responses to uh, what their buttons are and what their reactions are. Go ahead and take a minute and, uh, <clears throat> and finish filling that out. Okay, so uh, are you getting a little insight on maybe what goes on between you and your mate? Um, I got to tell you, this, um, this dynamic and helping people identify what their buttons are, what their wants for a relationship are, how they typically react, and how that 
ties into their spouses, buttons, wants, and reactions. This is consistently a um, very impactful portion of the therapy that we do with couples who are struggling. Um, It's kind of like, uh, the analogy I would use is if you've had a physical ailment that's puzzled you maybe for a long time and um, you go to the doctor and they order a series of tests and the doctor comes back and says, here's what's going on with you. This part of your body does this and it causes that party to do that and your eyes kind of get open and it's not really fixing the problem but just understanding where it's coming from provides such relief because so much of what we feel and experience when the fear cycle is controlling our relationships is that we don't have a clue what's going on. We feel awful. It feels uh, repetitive. It feels like it's controlling us. And when we start to get some insight about where it's coming from and how it's operating, it can be tangible, the kind of hope that it gives folks. I hope Uh, I'm praying that that's the experience for some of you as you're looking at what your own buttons, your own emotional uh, sensitivities might be, how you react, and what your mate's sensitivities and reactions might be. Um, Let me just, let's dig into this a little bit deeper because I think um, there, there are a great many insights that we can take from understanding this dynamic in relationships. And I, I'll just, I'm just going to hit on a couple here before we uh, close this session. First of all, let's think about where do these buttons come from? Uh, Jeremiah 17.1, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. This is a, a reference from the prophet Jeremiah, who centuries ago recognized that human beings carry inside them, on their heart, messages, uh, uh, things attached to sin, attached to pain, attached to disappointment that sometimes go way, way back, uh, certainly as far back as childhood. And things get written on our hearts that influence the way we see ourselves, how we anticipate someone we love and care about acting toward us, how we, how we sort of interpret events that take place in a relationship. It can be deeply tied to experiences that we had in childhood, experiences that really told us lies, uh, things like you won't amount to anything, you're lazy. You're such an idiot. If you heard someone say that to you, you, a parent, a sibling, a teacher, a coach, someone, you're good for nothing. You won't amount to a hill of beans. You're, nobody cares if you're around here. Go, go away. Leave us alone. Those kinds of things. If you suffered abuse, neglect, those experiences have, have a way of creating these these messages that sort of get imprinted on your heart. I like to think of the human heart as, um, excuse me, 
the universal metaphor for the emotional system in human beings. Because the heart is where we store not just our deepest fears and wounds, but also our highest hopes, aspirations, the dreams that are so precious to us, we dare not even share it with our closest friends or family. All of that stuff gets stored in the heart. And that, that part of us is what gets pricked, what gets stepped on, the buttons get pushed when there's conflict, tension, and threat going on in an intimate relationship like a marriage. Um, Once those lies are written on the heart, then it creates this anticipation of fear. And basically, those lies, those things that got written on my heart, become like a set of glasses that color everything that goes on around me. I don't even know that I got the glasses on. It's not until I have a moment of clarity and, and, uh, and insight where I kind of take the glasses off and I say, whoa, there's much more color going on here than I realized. Because those wounds, those fears that sometimes started very early, color everything uh, that goes on in my life. Many of you have, are already aware of this. How many of you kind of have known that you're vulnerable to look at your spouse uh, through the same lens that you carried from your childhood. I'm thinking some of you already kind of know that. Some of you, that may be a a totally new idea. Uh, The good news is that when I start to recognize that feeling control, for me, feeling controlled, feeling um, unimportant, feeling like a failure, when I start to recognize that those buttons are tied to stuff way earlier in my life, it helps me take, uh, take some of the, the energy that I want to throw at Mary Jo. You, you follow what I'm saying? It's like when I recognize this is some of what I brought into the relationship, it's not so easy to blame her for the buttons. Um, so the, but the, uh, where the buttons come from are going to be very unique and special, specific to each individual person. In fact, I have worked with uh, individuals who grew up in, in just uh, model home environments. This is really fascinating to me. Uh, a home environment where they were loved, adored, supported, protected, even maybe sheltered by their parents and their family. And they don't recall a day being scared or concerned about their, their emotional safety. And so they land in their marriage and their spouse says mean things, uses a tone of voice that they never heard in the home that they grew up with. And it's like they're so tender and so innocent that the experience of encountering some of that, um, some of that harshness in a spouse that they expect to be like the really sheltered, safe environment that they grew up in is, is almost traumatic because there's no callous. It's a little like 
like me going out in the sun without sunscreen. I don't, my son is so sensitive, my skin is so sensitive to the sun, I'll just get an immediate sunburn if I'm not paying attention. Sometimes if someone comes from a home environment that's really rich in um, nurturing, it's almost like they are not prepared for some of the harshness or insensitivity that maybe their spouse was exposed to in their, in their upbringing, their home environment. <clears throat> this should start to impress upon you um, how complicated this can get. It gets complicated in a hurry. The good news is the mechanism, the dynamic, is really not that complicated. I have sensitivities When those sensitivities get pushed, I want to react. When I react, it bumps into Mary Jo's sensitivities, her buttons. She reacts, and round and round we go. Uh, In our intensives, when we explore this with couples, we will take a, a big white piece of paper, and we'll map out a couple's fear cycle. They're each spouse's buttons, each spouse's reactions, and their wants, and they get to look at it, in black and white, I'll never forget one wife, we, we mapped out her fear cycle. She looked at the paper, her jaw dropped, and she said, that's a sucking, swirling vortex. <laughs> she got it. I mean, she saw her fear cycle, how her baggage was interacting with her husband's baggage, and, it, and she got it that these fights, this conflict was part of this dynamic that they were just doing over and over and over again. Not to worry. Uh, We are going to unpack for you how to break that cycle. We are going to unpack for you how to not let that dynamic define you, your spouse, or your relationship. You don't have to live in Egypt. You don't have to live in bondage to that dynamic. You can be set free from it. It's going to be challenging. We're going to show you some steps that may, yeah, may look a little, uh, uh, well, you may not uh, be prepared for them because you haven't thought about them before, but there is a way out and we want to show you what it is. Um, I'm going to pause here. We're going to take a break about uh, 10 minutes. And when we come back, my good buddy and boss, Uh, Bob Paul is going to come and talk with you about some of the beginning ways to break this cycle. Thanks so much for your attention. We'll get started in about 10 minutes.